if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin uh, or continue on in our series through the book of Exodus. I've given you my word that I would complete a chapter a week, and it's getting harder and harder to do that. And so I, I'm always like, Lord, I don't want to leave anything really super duper important out. And um, so continue to pray for me as I seek him uh, as to what I'm to focus on in each chapter. Exodus chapter 3. Last week we talked about Moses spending 40 years in Egypt uh, thinking he was somebody. <laughs> and then uh, we're going to see this week he spent 40 years in the desert in Midian realizing he was a nobody. And then as we go on through the book of Exodus, we're going to find out that Moses began to realize what God can do with somebody who realizes he's a nobody. And we're going to talk a bit about that tonight. I want you to remember that the name Moses means drawn out, it, or one of my favorite uh, meanings of his name means rescued. It comes from the word meaning to save, and it was really prophetic. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses because she saved him or she rescued him from the waters, and she um, drew him out of the waters and saved him from death. And, but little did she know that his name really was going to be prophetic because he was going to be the one that God would choose to deliver and rescue and save his people from uh, Pharaoh's uh, grip. And we're going to find that out in, in the weeks and, and months to come, really. So Exodus chapter 3 I wanted to uh, put a map on the screen for you to see as we begin to talk about Moses uh, going into to Midian. I wish I had a pointer to be able to point this out to you. But do you see over to, the, uh, to my left, the word Goshen up at the very top there. Do you see it where it says Exodus 2, 14 through 15? That is where the Israelites were enslaved in Goshen. Uh, Moses probably came down in Memphis in that area, and, and he left Memphis on the run from Pharaoh, and he went the whole way over to Midian. Do you see how far away he, he is from Egypt? I just want you to, to see that picture. Where the story takes place tonight is actually in Mount Sinai or Horeb, and so a little bit below uh, Midian, you can see Mount Sinai there. And I just want you to have a picture in your mind uh, of how far Moses really did run from Egypt. Do you see that? And that's going to be important as we begin to study uh, this passage. So Exodus chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush, and this is important, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place 
where you stand is holy ground. And we're going to stop there. We'll continue on. But, but that's the, the, bit, the bit of chapter 3 that we're going to really focus on tonight. But would you just pray with me uh, before we begin? Father God, I thank you that you are mighty to save. I, I thank you that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you'll do in our life, that you are indeed the great I am, everything we have need of, you are. And Father, I pray that as we study that very name tonight, Lord, that you would shine your light on it, that you would give us revelation, that you would give us understanding, and we would come into to a deeper understanding, Lord, of who you are and what you want to do in our life before we leave this place tonight. Lord, you know I'm just so aware that we have so much to cover in this chapter, and uh, Lord, there's so much in my head. And so, Father, I pray for a supernatural divine download straight from the throne room of heaven, out my mouth, into the hearts and the minds of these men and women. Thank you, Lord, that it is not by might and it's not by power. It's by your spirit. And so I give you your rightful place here tonight, and I desperately want to see you be magnified. That's the cry of my heart, Lord. Would you do that, I pray, in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Uh, now, you, you need to know, according to Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 30, this story took place after Moses has been, has been in Midian for 40 years. This has not just taken place after he took off from Israel, or I'm sorry, from Goshen to Midian. This is now 40 years later, and that's really important. Moses has been shepherding, we see here. He's tending the sheep, and notice that he's not just tending any sheep. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep. They, they don't even belong to him. And, and so I want you to just get that picture in your mind. Number one, he was raised as an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew, but he's raised in an Egyptian household. And we've, we've talked about this, how, how to the Egyptians, uh, shepherds were really uh, abominable, an abomination. They, they, they did not like shepherds at all. They wanted nothing to do with them. And now here was Moses, who was raised in an Egyptian household, surrounded by Egyptians for 40 years of his life. And now we find him for 40 years now tending sheep doing the very thing that he thought he would never, ever do. I just want you to picture this. He's left his people. He's left the comfort of, of the palace. He, he's left everything that he has ever known in his life. He was extremely well-educated. He, he was mighty in words and deed, Acts tells us. <laughs> and here we find him tending sheep. And not even his sheep, really. What it means is he had nothing to his name. He, he, he didn't have any, any value, anything valuable to his name. He was tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert. I, I just wonder if, if Moses thought, you know what, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out. I, I wonder if anybody here tonight would be courageous enough to say, Rhea, my life has not turned out the way I, I thought it, it should or dreamed it would or, or believed it could. I, I'm on the backside of a desert right now thinking this is not what I expected my life to look like. I think that's where Moses was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
But shepherding was probably the last thing he ever thought he would be doing. And, and the way uh, the, the, the wording is in the Hebrew here, the tense that's used, means it was a continuous action in the past. In other words, tending the sheep wasn't something that Moses was just doing that day. It was something he had been doing for 40 years. I believe that Moses was in the school, the university of God. I think that God was schooling him in the desert. And I I just want to tell you that if you're in a desert right now, if you're in a wilderness experience, if your life isn't turning out the way you thought it would, can I just tell you, you're probably in the university of God. He's probably teaching you something. He's probably schooling and, and teaching you something you couldn't learn any other way. Remember that that Egypt is a picture of the world. God had a powerful call on Moses' life, and he was preparing Moses for it. And in order to do that, he had to remove him from the world and put him in a place where he could strip him uh, of everything that the world had laid on him and position him in a place to hear clearly from him. Anybody besides me want to hear clearly from God? But sometimes we have to allow him to strip us of the things that hinder us from hearing him. Moses had everything. uh, Through the world's eyes, it would have looked like Moses had everything the world could offer. He had everything. His life was peachy keen, honky-dory. And then in a moment, everything changed. And he found himself on the backside of the desert. From Egypt to the backside of the desert. From a palace to tending sheep in a howling wilderness. From an Egyptian to being the one thing he never thought he would be, a shepherd. Forty years. God's ways are not our ways. Can I just tell you that? His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're, they're so much better. And he knows what he's doing. He does not waste Anything. Little did Moses know that, that while he was shepherding Jethro, Jethro's sheep in the backside of the desert, God was teaching him how to shepherd people uh, through that job. We picture this when, when the Bible tells us that he was on the backside of the desert. We, we picture a desert as an arid wasteland covered with sand. But, but the phrase here actually suggests that it was just an uncultivated pasture land where his sheep could graze. And, and that was just part of tending sheep. The, the shepherd would have to frequently find new pastures because the sheep would eat up all of, the, all of the grass and all of the good stuff. And then the shepherd would have to lead him into another place. The sheep into another place where they could have a better pasture land. And, and that's what Moses was doing. It was just an ordinary day. Who loves that in our ordinary days, God shows up? I just love it. When we least expect it, God surprises us with his power and with his presence. And that's what we see in Moses' life here. He was far from home. He was far from comfort. He, he was far from familiar surroundings. He was in a new territory. He was probably out of his comfort zone. The writer here calls this place Horeb, but it's just another name for Mount Sinai, what we will eventually know in the next couple weeks as the mountain of God. And you say, well, Rhea, why does it have all of those names? Uh, You know, Victor Hamilton says, calling Mount Sinai Horeb is used in the same sense that the Big Apple is another name for New York or the Windy City is another name for Chicago. So they're all the same, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, or Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. It's all, of, it's all the same mountain. 
But one of the most profound points in all of the study that I did this past week is the word desert. I I just want to focus. I promised you I wouldn't park anywhere, but I have to just park here for one second. That word desert, if you look it up in the Hebrew language, it's dever, and it means to speak. Listen, if you miss everything else I say tonight, tune in right now because you don't want to miss this. Moses is on the backside of a desert, and that word desert means to speak or to declare, but it also means to lead one away or to drive away. Oh, that's just so good. You see, you're not following me because if you were, you would, you, you would be hallelujah in it because it's really good because it's a picture. In other words, he's saying that God drives us away from distractions and into a desert so he can speak to us and he can declare something to us. Oh, see, some of you, you're in a peachy keen honky-dory dory place tonight, but, but others are in the desert. And if you're in a desert, you understand this, that God has driven you into that place. He's removed distractions from you so he can get your attention and speak to you. There is nothing that speaks more loudly to me than my desert experiences. How about you? And Moses is in a desert. He's in a lonely, desolate place. He's feeling the the effect of failure. He has failed in Goshen. He he messed up big time and he was aware of it. And now he's fleeing for safety. And he spent 40 years trying to get that message out of his head. You see, some of you have messed up big time. You failed in ways you never thought you would fail. And you are running from that thing. And I'm going to tell you what, God will catch up to you. He will catch up to you. Because God is with you even in that desert place, even in that wilderness. And we're about to see that with Moses. What is your desert place? Maybe it's staying in a marriage with an unfaithful or difficult spouse. Maybe it's having a job you hate and you hate going to every day. Maybe it's, it's taking care of an elderly parent or dealing with a medical condition that you've grown weary of facing. I don't know what your desert place is, but I can almost guarantee you that it's a place where, like Moses, you probably feel set aside by God. Maybe you're wondering if he really cares about you or if he's even there, but I can assure you that he is indeed still there. He still cares and he has a purpose for your desert. He's using it to get your attention and put you in a position for him to manifest himself to you. Flip over to Deuteronomy. Uh, it's a couple, chap- couple books back, Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want to just read verses 10 through 12 uh, for you because I want you to picture this. God has found Moses in that desert. He found him. Moses was running. Moses just wanted to to get on with his life and forget what happened in the past. He wanted to build a new family and just start afresh. He was happy tending sheep for 40 years. But God found them. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 through 11. He found them in a desert land, in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her her young. So he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. The Lord alone. Somebody say the Lord alone. The Lord alone guided them. Can I just tell you? 
that the Lord is with you in your desert place. And like he says in this passage, he will not only find you in that desert place, he will surround you. Oh, you are surrounded with favor like a shield. He surrounds you with his presence. He watches over you, this passage says, in that desert place. He guards you in that desert place. And I love this. It says, and he kept them protected or guarded like the pupil of his eye. If I, if I turn my face to the side and I let you see my facial structure, my facial bones, you could see that every bit of my facial structure, God has designed it to protect one thing. Do you know what it is? My eyes. Well, what happens when, when something comes flying at your face? What's the first thing you do? You go to cover your eyes, don't you? You protect your eyes at all costs. And the Bible says that in the desert place, God protects you like he protects the pupil of his eye. Do you know that you are protected by God most high? You don't have to worry about your desert place. You don't have to feel isolated and alone. He, God is with you like a mighty warrior. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never, ever relax his hold on you. And the end of that scripture says he carries us to safety and he directs us and leads us. In fact, it says God alone directs us and leads us. See, some of you think you're directing your own path. Some of you think it's up to you to, to, to find a way out of your circumstances or your troubles that you're in right now. Can I just tell you what? That God promises that he, will, he alone will lead you. He alone will direct you out of that place. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? One of my very favorite scriptures, I have it on my computer. It's 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. It says that, that when I don't know what to do, my eyes are fixed on you. Oh, is that just such a good word? That, that when we don't know what to do in our desert place, when we don't know what to do next, when we don't know which way to go, the Bible says when I don't know what to do, my eyes are fixed on you. Do you believe it? Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6, I love it. In the Amplified, it says, For he, God himself, has said, Oh, you need to hear this. He says it three times. I will not, I will not, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So he says, so we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? Even in your desert, even in your wilderness experience, God promises that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, and that he is not about to relax his hold on you. You're safe in his presence. Verse 2 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So most commentators uh, agree that the word angel there is not a supernatural being apart from God. It actually is the manifestation of God uh, that is visible to the human eye. It's a theophany. It's, it is God uh, revealing himself to man in another form. And so this is a picture of, of God in those flames of fire revealing himself to Moses. And, and, and fire, God often reveals himself as fire in Scripture. Uh, fire in Scripture almost always is a picture of divine judgment. 
Arthur Pink says that it, that is a God's holiness and active opposition against evil. God's fire is a picture of doing two things, destroying and purifying. Hebrews 12, 29 says God is an all-consuming fire. <laughs> that bothered me all week long because I kept saying, Lord, you're, you're, the, the scripture says that the fire would continue to burn, but it did not consume the bush. And, and yet, in other scripture, you say that you're an all-consuming fire. I, I just want to know how that works, Lord. If you're all-consuming, then why didn't you consume the bush? I, I just wanted to know. I, I thought about it all week long, but here's what I realized. If there were any bugs or spiders or anything like that in that bush, that fire would have consumed those things. But the bush itself went untouched. Oh, because you see, that's him living in my life. He's an all-consuming fire. He will burn away and destroy anything in me. That's not his will. That's not of him. But, but what's left intact is the Rhea he created me to be so that I can go and manifest his presence and burn brightly in this world for him. Our God is an all-consuming fire. The question remains, how can God, I love the, the fact that that was an earthly bush and it came in contact with a heavenly fire and it wasn't destroyed. Oh, can I tell you, you are an earthly bush and there is a heavenly fire living inside of you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire when you come to Christ and that fire of God is burning in your soul. I love the scripture that says your word was in me like a fire. Is his word in you like a fire? Or is somebody else's word in you like a fire? Is Fox News in you like a fire? Or is what Susie down the street said about you in you like a fire? Or is his word in you like a fire? It's interesting, this bush, if, if Moses had, had thrown water on the bush, the fire would have, would have consumed the water. <laughs> if Moses had thrown sand on the bush, the fire would have consumed the, the sand, but the bush and the fire would have remained. I'm just thinking about my life and how he wants to be an all-consuming fire in me. He created me to burn brightly for him in this world so that people will turn aside when they see me and say, well, what is it about her? There's so I got to just check it out. There is something about her I have to check out. That's why we're supposed to burn brightly for him. And you see, if you want to throw gossip on me, or if you want to throw nasty words on me, or if you want to say nasty, unkind things to me, God's all-consuming fire. You see, when I'm spent in his presence, and I'm allowing him to saturate my life with his presence, those things just burn away. They just burn away. I don't have to retaliate because you know what? What you're doing to me, I am so consumed with his love and with his power that it has no effect on me. That his presence, his love in me just burns that stuff away. It's interesting, that bush, that word bush there, the only other place it's used in Scripture, this is fascinating to me, is in Deuteronomy 33, 16. If you want to turn over there again, I'm sorry I have you turning places tonight. I don't usually do that, but this was too good to be true. Deuteronomy 33, 16. With the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him, here it is, who dwelt in the bush, <laughs> the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head 
of him who was separate from his brother. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him who was separate from his brother. Oh, I just want you to, to, to know there that the one who dwelt in the bush, that word dwelt is shakan. It's where we get our word shekinah glory. That, that burning bush that Moses saw that day was the Shekinah glory that we pray for all the time to come down. It is the glory of God in that fire. And it's the same word that's used in De- Deuteronomy 33, 16. I know it's deep, but I want you to follow me because it's so good. In other words, uh, do you see what it says there? That, that, the, that the, the blessing will come upon the head of the man who lives separated from his brethren. Look at that scripture. It says that when we are filled with the Shekinah glory and we live separated from other people, when we live different than the world lives, the blessing of the Lord will come upon our head. Do you want the blessing of the Lord in your life? Then let him fill you with the Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory come down. Do you want that in your life? And that requires getting in his presence and turning aside to look and letting him just consume your life with his power. That bush was just a bramble. It was just a thorn bush. It was a common bush. <laughs> it wasn't unusual for a bush to ignite in the, in the hot desert heat. It was hot. Everything was dry. And it was not an uncommon sight for a bush to just suddenly ignite. But, the, but what was uncommon is that it, it did not extinguish. It didn't go out and it didn't consume the bush. The bush didn't turn to ashes. And I love that because you see, that tells me that God's fire, well, he can choose to manifest himself in a common, ordinary, dried up person. He is willing to come into a person that's just common, that's just ordinary. And he wants to consume their life with his presence. I fit that description. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes my life is just dry. There, there's sometimes my life, it just feels like it's just desolate and, and it's just dried up and I'm weary and, and I get in his presence and I say, Shekinah glory, will you come down? Will you fill me afresh with your sweet Holy Spirit? Will you saturate my life with your presence? Will you ignite me with fire from on high? Do you want that? He can do that in a dried up ordinary bush. It's not about the kind of bush, it's about the kind of God we have. Verse 3 says that Moses turned aside to see this great sight. Oh, that, that's, that's fascinating to me because you see Moses watched and realized that even though the bush continued to burn, it was not consumed and that's what caught Moses' attention. And then God could speak to him, but, but, but how could he not notice a bush like that? So it wasn't that he noticed it. It was that he turned aside to see it again, to go in and inspect a little bit closer. And it was at that moment when, when God saw, the Bible says, look at that verse. It says, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him and said, He waited for for Moses to acknowledge his presence. He waited for Moses to turn aside and pause and and examine what what was happening. And then he spoke to him. You see, so, so often we don't hear God speak because we are too busy. We're in the hustle and bustle of life. We're busy with life and we don't take the time to turn aside and just, just, just examine his word and to spend time just saying, Lord, I want to see you. And it's in that place of us pausing and turning aside that he will speak to us. It's interesting, that word sight, it says that Moses 
uh, wanted to see such a great sight. Oh, that's, oh, I have to just pause there one more time. Turn over to Numbers chapter 8, verse 4. This is so fascinating to me. You see, this word is used in Numbers when Moses is being given instructions for the tabernacle. And he's saying, uh, God says to him, I want you to put some candlesticks in the tabernacle. And these candlesticks, I want you to make them after the pattern I showed you. Oh, guess what the word pattern is there? Sight. It's the same word. He's saying, Moses, remember what I showed you in the wilderness? Remember that that bush that was consumed with fire and that burned and it, and it wouldn't ever go out? Moses, remember that pattern I showed you? That's the pattern I want you to use for the candlestick in the tabernacle. See, you don't know this yet, but you're going to love it when we get to it because you see the candlestick was the only form of light in the, in the, most holy, in the holy place. There were no windows. The only light that was in that dark place was the candlestick, the one who he said, Moses, make that after the pattern of what you saw in that bush. Oh, that's so good. You see, that candlestick never went out. The priest had to make sure it was always lit. It, it was an all-consuming fire. It dispelled the darkness. It pushed back the darkness. Commentators believe that Moses, it was probably dark when Moses saw that bush because what happened was that bush pushed back the darkness. Oh, guys. See, you're not getting this. If you got this, you would just be overwhelmed because God says that he will come and tabernacle among his people. The next time we see God showing up, we see him showing up tabernacling among his people in that tabernacle cloud of, 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 of the cloud by day, the fire by night. Are you with me? And then the tabernacle. Build me a tabernacle so I can dwell with my people. Fast forward into the upper room. Tongues of fire coming down. Fast forward into John where he says, I want to dwell among my people. The word there is dwell is tabernacle among my people. Oh, you're not getting it. He wants us to be people who dispel darkness everywhere we go, that we burn so brightly for him that people turn aside and say, what kind of sight is that woman? I love that people think I'm a sight. I love that they think, oh my goodness, she is way too much coffee today. I, I love it. I, I love that they are like, what planet is she from? I'm a burning bush. And every single day, I sit before him, ask Davy every single day I sit before him and I say, oh, that's just ugly, Lord. Can you just consume that thing in my life? Can you get rid of it? Leave the bush. Just get rid of the spiders and the bugs. But that takes me turning aside and saying, Lord, I want to be a consuming fire for you. I want to dispel the darkness. You don't want me to burn out. You don't want me to shine a little bit today. Be, be lit for 15 minutes while I'm in church and then go back to the darkness. You want that flame to stay alive in me. You want it to stay alive in me. You, you don't want it to be extinguished. Make it after that pattern, Rhea. Because you're my lampstand. To a lost and dying world. But we got to turn aside. We got to take the time to, to spend in his presence and turn aside. So Moses said, I need to turn aside and, um, Lord, help me. 
God was preparing Moses to be a spiritual leader. And we all want to be spiritual leaders, but we can't lead well and make a difference for the kingdom until we become like this burning bush. We have to allow him to completely consume our lives and burn away anything in opposition to his will. Acts 2.7 says, God himself has said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. You are not the exception. God wants to burn brightly in you. He wants to be that burning uh, fire within you. So verse 4 said, when Moses saw, he turned aside to look, and God called to him in the midst of that, that the bush, and he says, Moses, Moses, I love this, because you see, God is initiating dialogue with Moses. He wants to converse. Oh, can I just tell you that God wants to converse with you? He doesn't want to be a far-off, distant God. He wants to have conversation with you. He wants to have dialogue with you, and when you turn aside, when you pause, he sees it. He sees when you say, Lord, I'm going to get in your word this morning. He sees when you say, Lord, I'm going to pray continuously. I'm at the grocery store, but I'm praying continuously. Are you with me? I'm turning aside. And the Bible says that he saw when Moses did that. Oh, aren't you so glad he's a God who sees? And after he saw that Moses did that, he responded and he called him and he said, Moses, Moses, anybody love that he knows Moses' name? Moses doesn't know his because he's like, who should I tell them sent me? <laughs> What's your name? But he knows Moses, and he says it twice to get his attention, Moses, Moses. And, but he waited till Moses turned aside, and then he spoke. Can I just tell you that voice still speaks today to those who will take a moment and turn aside to listen. He's looking for somebody who isn't too busy to turn aside for a burning bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here am I. And in other words, I've heard, Lord, and I'm willing to obey. Here I am. I'm, I'm responding. And that's all prayer is. It's just a response, listening and responding, listening and responding. And then Moses, uh, you can see God's response to him. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here, I, here am I. And then he says, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals for the, the place where you are standing it's holy ground. Oh, I, I love that. You see that word holy there? It just means separate. It, it means to be separate. And I just, I just want to tell you that I think that that's where we're going wrong as people. I was teaching a Bible study on Saturday morning, and somebody brought up that the word saint means separated one. It means most holy thing. <laughs> Can I tell you that God wants us as his people, as saints, to live separated, to look different than Susie down the street, than Tom at work. He wants us to be different than the unbeliever down the street. We should look different than them, but we should be separate. We should come out from among them, be separate from them. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Are you with me? And he wants us to look different. And he said, Moses, don't go any further. Don't come any closer to my presence till you take those dirty sandals off. Because the place where you are standing, this moment right now when you and I are connecting, when we're conversing, when you're seeing my glory in your life, it's holy. Oh, can I just tell you, that is holy. It is holy. Holy, when you really experience the glory of God in your life, you will step back and say, I got to take my, my shoes off. This is holy ground. I want this to never stop. 
when you really taste of his presence. You see, I think that's what's wrong with the church today. We're just coming to get in a sermon on Sunday morning, but we've never encountered his presence. We've never encountered the fire of God, the glory of God in our life. It's interesting to me that the priests, we're going to see that, that God will give all kinds of orders and, and a pattern for, for everything that the priest wears, every, everything in the tabernacle he's going to give guidelines for. Do you know the one thing that we don't see any guidelines for, for the priests? It's shoes. Do you know why that is? Commentators believe that they didn't wear shoes, that they would have been barefoot for this very reason. That they see shoes, you pick up dirt as you go along life and your feet get dirty and, 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 and don't bring that dirt into God's presence. And it's a picture of us coming before God through confession and repentance. Some people say, well, Rhea, you don't have to repent. You've been forgiven. The blood of Jesus cleanses you. Yeah, it does. But you know what? Leslie's my best friend. And I can say something nasty to her and I can know that she'll still be there for me tomorrow. She is a diehard, loyal best friend. But when I say something nasty to her, our fellowship gets broken off. And she, you'll be my friend forever, won't you? I know you will. And, and, and she will be my friend forever. But our fellowship gets affected when I, say, when I say something to hurt her or do something to hurt her. So I don't go back to her and say, Les, will you forgive me? Because I, 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 want, I want her to not go anywhere and not, you know, to still be my friend. I know she's going to still be my friend. She's very patient that way. But I want fellowship restored back with her. I don't want our, our friendship to have any, anything in between us. And you see, that's with God. Does he forgive you? Does the blood of Jesus cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Absolutely, positively. Before, it, it, now, in the future, it does. It takes care of it all. But you see, our fellowship, when we hurt God, gets broken. When we do things we should not ought to do, when we take dirt into his presence, our fellowship suffers there. And so I just come before him and I say, Lord, I, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that it cleanses me. I, I thank you that, that my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. I thank you for that, Lord. But you know what? I just want to tell you, I'm really sorry. I, I'm just sorry, Lord. I've taken off my sandals. Because I like that holy presence. I'm not going to rush into his presence. And we'll talk about that more when we get into the tabernacle. But, um, but I also believe that he was saying to Moses, I want you to separate from your past. I want you, that word holy means separate. And I think what he was saying is, Moses, leave the sheep behind. Leave what you did 40 years ago behind. Leave your shoulda, woulda, couldas behind. And can you just enjoy this moment with me right now? Can you just separate yourself from, from what was just happening in your life and just... Enjoy this moment with me right now. You see, there is nothing more empowering than when you get in his presence. And, and everything just kind of fades away. When you choose to throw off everything that, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And you throw that off. And you come boldly. He invites you to come boldly into his presence. But you see, the things of this world just grow strangely dim when you're in his presence. Those burdens don't seem to be such big burdens anymore. The other day when I was studying this, something happened, and I promise I'm finishing. Something happened in my life, and I was really hurt, and I, I couldn't focus. I couldn't study. I couldn't do my job. I, I was just consumed with this thing that had happened because it hurt me so deeply, and 
And finally, I said, Lord, I can't, I've got, you've got to help me focus here. And, and I felt like the Lord just said, I just want you to kneel down here and just get in my presence. And because I was studying this passage. And, and so I knelt down in front of my fireplace and I just began to pray and pour out my heart before God. And Dave was upstairs and I'm sure he heard me and I didn't even care. I just needed to get in the presence of God. And, and for about 15 minutes, I just began to pour out my heart before God and, and just worship him and just spend time in his presence. And, and then I got up and I, I went back to my desk and went back to work. And I'm just telling you, I'm not exaggerating one bit. That thing that had so burdened me, that had so weighed down on me, when I got in his presence, it just lifted right off of me. It was still there, but it didn't nearly have the power it had before I started praying and getting in his presence. You see, there's just something that when you separate yourself from that stuff and come into his presence, that those burdens just fall off of you. So Moses says, um, he says, take off your sandals, verse 6. He says, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. That's interesting to me. Then he says, yeah, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But he says, I'm the God of your father. And, and people say, God, it says then that Moses hid his face and that he hid his face because no one looks on God and lives. But I don't think that's the case. Because you see, he didn't hide his face from the fire. He hid his face after God said to him, I'm the God of your father. Remember, 40 years prior, Moses, thinking he can do this in his own strength, deliver his own people, failed miserably. <laughs> I'm the God of your father, Moses. I I'm the one that called you to this. I I I'm the one who rescued you from the Nile. I I I'm the one who, who chose you to be the deliverer. I'm the one. Remember me, Moses? I, I, I'm the one. I saw that 40 years ago. And I think he hit his face because he was like, oh, he knows what I did. Can I tell you, God knows what you did. <laughs> and he's still pursuing you in your desert place. He's still going to great lengths to find you. The Bible says if you go to the depths, even there he'll find you. Do you love my Jesus? Do you love that he loves you so much that if you go to the depths of the darkness, even there he will find you? That he is in hot pursuit of you because he loves you with an everlasting, everlasting, unfailing love. And then he says, Moses, he goes on to say that he has... Um, seen the oppression of his people. He's heard their cry. He is going to bring them from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I love that because in that desert, he wanted Moses to, to know he's seen, he's heard their cries, he knows their sorrows, and he's coming to deliver them. And if that's you tonight, if you're in a desert place, if you feel like you are burned down like the Israelites, that you can't take anymore, that you've been living with a cruel taskmaster in your life, you, you feel like you are in bondage or slavery, maybe to an addiction that you can't get free of, can I just tell you that I have news for you tonight? Let me tell you about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has seen, who has heard, who, who knows your sorrows. He's heard your cries, and he wants to deliver 
deliver you tonight. He wants to deliver you and take you into a place of abundance. That's the land flowing with milk and honey. What he's saying to, to you is, I want to take you to a place where you don't have to worry. I'll provide for you at every turn. You will have a life like you never dreamed you could have. I am your deliverer, and I've heard your cries. I've seen your sorrows. I know your pain, and I am the one you are looking for. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? He's commissioning Moses here. He's saying, I want you to go and set my people free. And then Moses, he hears them and he says, who am I? And I, I love it. You know, prideful Moses who took it, it into his own hands 40 years prior and failed miserably. And Moses who has the best education, uh, was reared in Pharaoh's court and had a, a peachy keen life. Uh, I love that Moses now after... Years in the desert, our desert places do for us. They humble us and they bring us down a notch. And man, that's why I'm in one all the time. Can I tell you? Because I need to come down a notch. And, and Moses, the Moses who we saw prideful and arrogant 40 years prior now says, Who am I? Who am I that you would send me? And, and you know what God says? Moses, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. You see, you're a common scrub brush. <laughs> I can use even common dried up scrub brushes because it's not about the bush. It's about the fire in it. It's about the God of the fire. And so Moses says, well, who, who, who do I tell them send me? Because, you know, we tried this before, God, and I, I messed it up. They, they laughed at me. They, they threatened to kill me. And now you, you want me to go back there and say, I'm here to deliver you. Da, 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 Dudley Do-Right. Anybody remember Dudley Do-Right? Okay, I'm super old. Dave. <laughs> Praise the Lord, somebody remembers Dudley Do Right. Remember how? Do, 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 do. I mean, he was Dudley Do Right. Yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I'm in deep now, so I just have to keep going, but that's Dudley Do Right. I mean, he was like, I'm here to save the day. And so he's saying, Lord, what do I tell him? I, I blew it so completely. <laughs> I just blew it, Lord. They are never going to believe that I can deliver them. I don't even believe it, Lord. So who, who should I tell them is sending me? And he says, tell them, I am. I said, well, Rhea, what is I am? That's the answer to everything you have need of. I am. He said, I am. I, I, it, it is the three tenses of to be. I was, I am, and I ever will be. That's it. I was, I am, and I ever will be. And what he's saying is, I'm covering it all. Whatever you have need of, I will be. Whatever you, when you're coming out of Egypt in through the desert and you have a need, trust me, I will be it for you. I will meet that need. He will meet your needs according to his riches and glory. He is the great I am. Everything you have need of, his answer is, I am. I will be that for you. It is the name of the covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God. And then Moses says, <laughs> you know, how am I going to do this? And, and God's answer only is, I will certainly be with you. I will be with you. 
can I tell you, he will be with you. I, I, I just don't know about you, but I, I, I listen to this story, and I want that to be my life. I, I want to be a life that is consumed with the power of God. You see, Moses did this. He had to experience this. He had to see God this way because the task that was in front of him was going to be so big. Lord, how am I going to go back and tell a mean, cruel Pharaoh who has kept people in slavery for 400 years? It was working for him. And you want me, piddly old Moses, who blew it one time to go back there and deliver those people? Do you have any idea what you're asking, Lord? But you see, Lord, the Lord was demonstrating through that bush, Moses, this is what I can do with a scrub brush, with a, with a bush. Imagine what I can do if you let me consume your life. Chuck Swindoll summarizes this just so well that I just brought the book tonight because I wanted to just read it to you in closing. He was talking about God's larger message to Moses in that moment in the bush. He says, Moses, 40 years ago, you were a fine-looking bush, impressed with all your foliage. You had impressive strong branches and lush green leaves. But when your bush started burning, it was gone in less than 48 hours. Your grand scheme went up in flames, charring your dreams and consuming your ambitions along with it. There was nothing left there. That was your life, Moses. And then you ran like a scared rabbit across the border to get away from the Egyptian lynch mob. You thought you were a choice, top-quality bush before that happened, and now you don't think you're worth much at all. Listen, man, any bush will do as long as I, the great God of all grace, am in the bush. I want you, Moses, stand still and let me set you on fire. What does it take to qualify as a bush that God will use? You have to be dried up and thorny. You have to be dusty and dirty. You've got to be ordinary. You have to be burnable. God is looking for flammable bushes. There are some good-looking bushes and shrubs out there in Christendom that won't burn at all. They're made out of asbestos. You couldn't set them on fire with a welding torch. Napalm wouldn't even do the job. They're beautiful replicas of beautiful plants, but they won't burn, which means they are of no use to God. The truth is, any old bush will do as long as God is in the bush. That's what he's saying to Moses. I want you to burn for me as no man has ever burned before. You've been dried out and well-seasoned in this howling wasteland through the years. I want you dried out. And I have pruned away from you much of those things you used to hang on to, and that means so much to you. I have reduced you to a simple love for me. That's all you have to offer now, Moses. And that's all I want. 